I'm sharing part three in a series on being a generous church. Being a generous church. We talked the first week about to be a generous church requires generous people in the church. And we also talked about being generous people requires a heart change. A heart change that can only be accomplished by God. We talk about, and the scriptures point out, to be born again, to receive a new heart. We become new creatures in Christ. You know, we hear so often, oh, they're basically good people. People are all generally very good. I mean, that sounds so sweet, and it's polite, but it's not true. The Bible is very clear that it says there is not a single good thing in the heart of an unbeliever. It's filled with wickedness. And sometimes when we see what's going on in the world today, we act shocked. I've said this before. How can there be such evil? How can people do that to other human beings? How can they do that to children? How can this happen? And the reality is, out of an unredeemed heart, there is no bottom to the wickedness that could come forth. And to be a generous people in every regard, whatever form that generosity takes, requires a new heart. Then last week we talked about Something that doesn't cost us anything. Being generous with our words. Kind words and encouraging words. Encouraging one another. A word of encouragement. All it takes is a few moments to say something kind and good to someone. To say it not just because they earned it or did something super for you, but just because we know they need it. It doesn't cost us anything, but it's unbelievable what that investment can make in somebody else's life. There is a time in our lives when a word of encouragement can change everything for that one person who hears and needs that word. And this morning we're going to look in another area where we need to be a generous church, and that's in our doing good, good deeds. I like to avoid saying good works because there's such confusion between works from a religious perspective where we're trying to work our way into heaven. That's not what it's about. We'll be looking at some scripture in a few moments. But we need to realize that even as important those good words are, our faith needs to be going beyond words. Going beyond saying things. It needs to go beyond that. They're great. They're good. They're necessary. They bring joy to God's heart. But faith needs to produce fruit, and that fruit is action. We need to take action. How in the world do we demonstrate Christ to the world around us if we don't do good deeds? If we don't do good things? A natural food of faith should be action. Whatever that action is would depend upon the situation. You know, we are called as believers. We call ourselves Christians. Christians are followers of Christ. We are called to serve God. And one of the primary ways we serve God is to serve others. To serve others. God came as, Jesus came as a servant. We're called to be like Christ. We are truly called to serve others. You know, when Jesus was asked the greatest command, but he gave two. The first one was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. But he said that second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor, and that goes beyond a love that is strictly emotional. It goes into a a type of love defined with action, to take action. So the fruit of doing good is what I want to focus on as far as being a generous person and a generous church. Now, I think most of us would agree with this thought that being a Christian in Christianity is taking kind of a hit in the world today. 
especially in our part of the world, in our culture, the influence that Christians can have has really been undermined and marginalized in a lot of ways. You know, being a Christian can just be bring ridicule upon the individuals who are proclaiming to be Christians, declaring their Christianity. But instead of focusing all the reasons why that's probably happened, and there are definitely plenty of reasons why that has happened, I would like to focus today just on one possible solution. I think probably the primary solution to this, and that this would be, well, it's kind of a strong statement. And you can pretend like it doesn't apply to all of us, but I think it does. The solution to this is, as Christians, we need to actually live like we're Christians. We actually need to live like Christians. So many people declare they're Christians with their lips, but their life would give no indication. Now, I want to say up front before we get into this, we are not called to judge the heart of people, ever, right? But we are called to judge their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their love, a love that takes action. So as we look at this, we need to understand that as Christians, we should be living like Christians. We're called to be imitators of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us. One of its primary functions is to bring us greater and greater, uh, in greater ways to Christ-likeness. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ, representatives of Christ. You know, you've heard that phrase, you know, um, show the world. And if you need to speak some words, that's okay too. But we need to demonstrate it. Show them and live like Christians. Now, I don't know who this line first came from, but it's one you've probably all heard before. It's simply this. You could be or may be the greatest Christian some people ever meet in their whole life. You may be the greatest Christian that some people meet in their whole life. Think about that. What if I am the greatest Christian that someone I meet, someone I interact with, someone I start relationship with, I'm the greatest Christian they're going to meet in their whole life? They've never met one before. How does that make you feel when you think about that? Wow, it's kind of humbling that that could possibly be true. Makes me a little nervous that could possibly be true. Makes me feel really challenged that that could possibly be true. And it might even make me feel very inadequate that that could possibly be true. And maybe it even could make me feel ashamed that that could possibly be true. If that's true and I am that example to someone, what impression or even what definition of Christ would they have after meeting me? I mean, I have heard people say many times, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with that. If that's the kind of people that go to that church, I want nothing to do with that church. Why? And it's amazing. They may be basing this whole picture and assumption in their minds on one interaction with someone that claimed to be a Christian, and it was not a good experience because they didn't demonstrate Christ. When they meet us, will they see Christ at work in us? Will they see Christ moving through us? 
Will they feel loved and accepted by being around us, being exposed to us? How are they going to picture in their mind the Lord? Will they maybe even feel drawn to God because of their experience with you and me? If we're demonstrating Christ to the people we meet, to the world around us, God will use that to woo them to himself. Remember, it's God working through us and in us by the Holy Spirit. Not our flesh. It's God moving. He wants to use you and I to demonstrate himself to the world, to draw them to him. And that's the focus of doing good that I want to share today. I'm pretty sure that most all of us, and I'd like to think and give myself a a free pass here, but I would say before I was really a Christian, uh, but most of us have probably been around people who proclaim to be Christians. I mean, back when I was young, they all still wore suits to church. You had to look right. You, You had to behave a certain way. And then when the church service was over, but as a kid, I saw outside the doors. didn't look like I saw inside the doors. They're talking and proclaiming and supposedly Christians, and they want me to be one, but they are not acting like one. Now, I'm saying, not saying that's the one of the reasons. I'd, I'd say that's one of the reasons I thought this whole religious thing, Christianity thing, take it or leave it. It's not that impressive. We see that oftentimes because we don't see the real faith in action. So we're going to look at some scriptures and try to do it pretty quickly. We'll make a point that this is important to God. The first one is in James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. And I read this scripture, and I want you to know up front... <clears throat> There's been people who look at this scripture that I'm reading here and then look at what I'm going to read from Paul in just a moment, and they say, geez, these two guys aren't in agreement here. And theologians and people that like to argue still argue about what's being said between these two guys. They say, this can't all be, all be true. It seems like it's contrary to one another. I believe it's not at all. James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And I want to point out that word, claims. Claims to have faith. Keep that in mind as we read through this. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He's saying that type of faith that a person claims to have, but we see no fruit of it, there's no action involved, that's dead faith. It's not real faith. It's faith spoken from the mouth, but there's never been a transformation of the heart. It says, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
And so when I look at this in the total context of what he is saying here, he's saying there's these people that claim to be Christians. They're trying to represent Christianity, but they don't really. It's not a real faith. They believe here maybe that there is a God, but so do the demons, and they shudder because they know there's a real God, and they know their outcome. So he's saying there is a difference because there should be a natural fruit. Now remember, works save no one. And we don't judge people's heart, but we do look at fruit. And I believe this is what James is saying. Good deeds should just be natural. Let me show you my faith, not by telling you about it, not by telling you how much Bible I know up here, not by quoting things to you, not putting on a great argument for you. Let me tell you about my faith by showing you my faith. And then maybe after I've shown you my faith and you see Christ-likeness in me, maybe then I can tell you a little bit more about my faith. Anyone can claim they have faith. They take polls, national polls, man alive, almost everybody in America is a Christian. Well, it seems to be there's not quite as many anymore that claim that. But it used to be well over 80% would say, yep, I'm a Christian because I believe in God. Well, I'm pretty sure that 80% might be high. And he says, faith without works is dead. He's simply saying that kind of faith that's just claimed, it's not real. It's not real faith because we should see fruit of that real faith. And then he goes on in verse 19 and says, boy, the demons, we're no better than a demon if we believe there's a God. Do we believe Jesus Christ died for my sins because I'm a sinner? And he went to that cross and died for me. And because of that, my sins have been forgiven. I'm now a child of his, and I surrender my life to him, and I want to live for him. Holy Spirit, transform me more into the image of Christ. Boy, there's a big difference between mental assent of believing there's a God and knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And then Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, and you need to keep these things in the proper order. We are saved by grace. You have been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And not only just to do good works, to do good works that he's already preordained that we are called to do. Part of that destiny that we have in Christ includes doing good works that God's already planned for us to do. He's got good works planned for you that he doesn't have planned for me, and vice versa. We all have different gifts, different talents, different abilities, so that we might do the good works that he's planned for us. We are created by God to do good works. We've been saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. We can never lose that idea. But in verse 10, we just need to remember we are his workmanship, created to do these good works prepared for us ahead of time. And then and there's a, a little tiny book in the Bible called Titus. Maybe you haven't read Titus many times, but I encourage you to. It's another one of those letters that Paul wrote. Now, Titus was considered a good friend of, of Paul's. Matter of fact, he considered him a spiritual son, and he worked with him, and he was a, a, obviously a believer, a brother in Christ. And when Paul, on one of his journeys, Titus was with him, and they were in the island of Crete. 
And when Paul had to go on to wherever he was going next, he left Titus behind. And he says, Titus, I'm leaving you behind to set these churches in order. In other words, help establish government of some sort in these churches. And if you look in the book of Titus, you're going to see the first chapter or so, you see a lot of instruction on what it's supposed to look like to be an elder. In other words, here's some qualifications, Titus. I want you to put people in order or people in place to help lead these churches, but don't just grab the first guy that comes around. Here's some qualifications. And then we see he goes on a little further and he says, there is some religious people that are causing problems. Matter of fact, he'll, we'll see in the scripture in just a moment, he says, they're despicable people. Well, they're religious people, all right, but they're despicable people. It says in verse 16 of chapter 1, again, here's this word, they claim to know God, these troublemakers, these religious troublemakers, these Jewish brethren, so to speak. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable. They are disobedient. And, until, and they are despicable and unfit for doing anything good. Man, I hope the Lord never says those words about me. They are unfit to even do anything good. Whatever good they do doesn't mean a thing to me because it's coming out of a wrong heart. It's not going to gain any eternal fruit whatsoever. Paul tells Titus, to remind them, when we get to verse three, chapter 3, Paul starts in, in most translations, remind them or tell them, but remind them of something. He says, remind them of who they once were. Remind them of who they are now. Remind them what they've become through Christ. And I think sometimes we need to take a step back, especially if we've been Christians for a while, and we need to remember. Remember what we were before. We may not have understood it at that time, but we certainly do now. Before we met Christ, we were condemned to hell, eternal separation from God. He says, remember what you were, but then remind them who they are now, who they are now in Christ. You are now, we sang about it again this morning, we are children of God. We've been set free. No more bondage. We have freedom in Christ if we claim it. Remember who they are. And then he spends some time in verses 3 through 7 as he elaborates on that. And then by verse 7, he reminds them again, you have been justified by grace. In other words, you've been forgiven by grace. It's a gift. And because of that, you have been made heirs of the hope of eternal life. So he's laying this groundwork. This is who you were, but this is who you now are. And you have this great privilege of having a certain hope of eternal life with Christ. Amazing stories. And then in verse 8, and this is the verse I wanted to just focus on for a few moments, he says to Titus, this is a trustworthy statement. In other words, you can hang your hat on this because this is truth. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. And now if you would study the original language a little bit there, it doesn't mean just do a good deed now and this would be continually, continually, continually doing good deeds. 
encourage them to continually do good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Good and profitable for men. Mankind. They're good and profitable for all of us. And really, when I conclude this, we've got to remember, when we do good deeds, it's not just good for them. It's just not good for them, the people that we do these good deeds for. One, it's bringing honor and glory to God because we're demonstrating Christ, but it's good for us. You know, you hear people say so often, oh, I'm not very good at receiving gifts, but I sure like to give gifts. It's better to give than to receive. Why do we say those things? Because it's true. There is that generosity in us, especially if we're believers, that it does something for us. It reminds us. And this is what Titus is being reminded of by Paul. It reminds us that we have been saved to do good works. David Guzak, who has a commentary um, on Blue Letter Bible, if you go to that website ever, but he says this statement, and I really like the first phrases. It says, Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. And then he finishes the statement by saying, we must never put the cart of works ahead of the horse of grace. As important as good deeds are, we've got to always remember we are saved by faith. That's what saves us, grace by faith. But he says, I love that first part, he says, faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It comes with natural fruit called good works, good deeds, doing good, being Christ to the world around us. And in the, the end of chapter 3, or almost to the very end in verse 14, he says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful, to bear fruit. And really, the fruit that the Lord is concerned about is fruit that advances the kingdom. In other words, our good deeds can advance the kingdom. Things that we do demonstrating Christ to the world. Now, it can be easy. And I I include myself in this. It can be very, very easy for us to slip into a lifestyle that doesn't demonstrate our faith by our actions. And we may not even be aware that we've slipped into that lifestyle. We're busy. Life is happening all around us. We've got our work. We've got our family. We've got all these things going on all the time, and we can slip into this and forget that we are created and saved to do good deeds to others. We might be saved. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us, but we kind of just get in this rut. We go to work, go to church a couple times a month, pick up the Bible and look at it every once in a while. We pray maybe over meals and if emergency pops into our world, we pray a little bit. It's easy to slip in this. And we can do all of this without letting God, and we're just think we're not letting God engage the world around us to show himself to the world. And we can do that so easily. I, I can find myself falling into that snare of you're busy, you're doing things, they're good things, they seem good things, you're being productive, you're doing what you're called to do to work and job and, and you know, a little recreation's nice and 
golf is a little addicting and I can't help it. Whatever it is, <laughs> we can forget these things. And all of a sudden, it's like we've got to take a step back and hold it. First of all, I am an ambassador of Christ. Am I demonstrating him to the world? Am I doing the good deeds that I was created for and saved for to do for others, to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Am I? And it's time sometimes we just plain need to realign our lifestyle. We need to live like we really are Christians. So as the world sees the real deal, they've got something to compare the phony to. It's easy to get all grouped in as one category. I, I had a, I had a, well, I, be careful here. I had a new neighbor a number of years ago. And the first time I met this person, I introduced myself. Oh, you know how it goes. What do you do? Well, I'm the pastor at Victory Church. Oh, yeah, I know you men of the cloth. First of all, men of the cloth? What cloth? For those of you that don't know, that was what pastors, ministers were, were referred to. But hers, I, I know what you men of the cloth are like. And it wasn't a compliment. This person had a very bad experience with a pastor. And because I'm one, she had me nailed. She knew me. There was nothing there that she wanted. She had one experience, well, at least that I'm aware of, with this person who was a pastor. And sometimes that's what happens. We need to be aware of those things. And we need to remember, who are we representing? Maybe it's time to realign a few things. And we should be motivated to do this. Why should we be motivated to do this? We should be motivated to do this because of the love of God in us and our love for God. If he saved us and created us to do good works, when we do good works, it brings joy to our Father's heart. It should motivate us as Christians to please him, to glorify him. We're not trying to earn pat on the back or some divine seal of approval. We're trying to just represent Christ to the world around us. I want to close quickly with kind of four fruit of good deeds, and I'm stealing this from a book written or by, or an article written by Chip Ingram. Uh, many of you may have heard of Chip Ingram. He's a pastor, teacher, author, and he wrote an article, I believe it was just an article, How is Doing Good Part of Our Calling as Christians? And I want to close with these four things that he said are fruit of this that I think are very sound scripturally. He says, first of all, in the midst of the darkness of the world around us, we reveal God's passion for people. And all the darkness in the world, all the bad things that are happening, all the evil that's surrounding us, all the things that are people are getting inundated on the news every night of hearing what people are doing to other people, when we start doing good deeds, we can be demonstrating the passion that God has for people. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Second one, he said, doing good things in our hurting communities rescues people from eternal destruction. Oh, it may take a little while, but as we demonstrate these good things in our communities, yes, we may get complimented, all that, that's nice, that's good, and who doesn't like to hear those encouraging words, right? But the reality is we want them to see Christ in us that they would be drawn to him, that they may, by grace, receive the same salvation that we received. 
and be saved from condemnation and eternal life separated from Christ. And number three, among neighbors and strangers as well, it reveals to them our priorities. And it connects our heart to people. They know you care. And it's important that we care. And they see that it's important enough. You stop what you're doing or you give something to them, a physical thing, financial thing. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I get a privilege you all don't all get. I, this past week, I had a young man call me from Marshall. Never heard of him before, never met him before. And he's wondering if I could help, Victory could help, with a tank of gas. I says, you're in Marshall? Yes. You have a job? And I went through all that stuff. And you know, he had me convinced it was a situation. And I said, where are you headed? You need the gas. He says, I'm living in my car. And I'm about out of gas and my air conditioning. I, this heat's going to kill me. I said, you got enough gas to drive to Ballotin and get back. <laughs> if you do, I've got high V cards. I'll be glad to give you high V cards. And you can get gas, food, whatever you need. If you can only get to Ballotin, we can get you gas down here. No, I think I've got, it says i got 57 miles left on my um, speedometer, odometer. I said, okay, good. And I didn't tell him what I was going to give him. I didn't share with him, but I said, we can help you. So when he came and I started visiting with him again, and got a nice guy, very articulate, young man. He used to have a job up in the oil fields in North Dakota. He's back down here, originally from Wilmer. Wilmer. Last home he'd lived in was Marshall, so he came back here looking for work. And I said, that should be easy to find. Well, you know how that story goes. But I said, I'll be glad to help you. We'd be glad to help you. And I gave him two high V cards. Each one was worth $100. He got up out of his chair and threw his arms around me and gives me this great big hug. And I, he's a young guy. I don't know if he's in his 20s. He had never met me before. I would never met him before. But just an act of generosity because of the generosity of this church were able to do those things, and immediately it did something in him. So after he got through hugging me, you know, I, I want you to know not many strangers give me a hug unless I initiate it. He sat back down, and we talked a little more, and he's just grinning from ear to ear, not a, you know, just surprised. Kind of that grin you might see on somebody's face after they get an unexpected gift for their birthday or Christmas. And I said, you know, we're just glad to help you. Jesus loves you. Can I pray with you? He says, yeah, of course. So I prayed with him, and he jumped up again and gives me another great big hug. And I bet he thanked me six times from my desk to the door, and it's only about eight feet. Simple act that we can all do things like that. And I think his reaction to victory would be very positive. In fact, I asked him, why are you calling victory? Well, he says, I went to an agency, because I said, what churches have you called? Well, he said, I went to an agency, government agency here at the courthouse, and they told me, call victory in Ballotin. They'll help people. They didn't say this church in Marshall or that church in Marshall, this church in Marshall, and I don't mean that in a neg- negative way towards them. They call this church in Ballotin. They'll help you. We get opportunities like that at a personal level every day to help people. Sometimes it's just an encouraging word. Sometimes they may need a few bucks. Sometimes they may need a ride somewhere. Sometimes they may only need your attention for a few minutes. 
but we can be Jesus to these people, and that's what we're called to do. And we finished VBS here a week or two ago, and the focus was let your light so shine. We're trying to get these kids in them. You know, let your light shine in the world. Well, one way we let our shine and light shine in the world is to do good deeds. How are we doing? Living out what we believe. Are we demonstrating it? And we are doing a pretty good job. But we can do better. We want to do better. We need to do better. We need to follow Paul's instructions. Devote yourselves to doing what is good. And we do that we are fulfilling part of our calling as Christians. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the way you love us and pour out your love upon us, the way you bless us beyond what we deserve, and the way you provide for every need. God, we thank you and praise you for that. And God, I pray you by your Holy Spirit, you would help us overcome um, sometimes our, just our, our lack of interest, but many times just we're, we're, we're too busy. We don't pay attention. We don't look. Grab a hold of us, that we might see those around us who we can help, who we can do good things for, that we can truly be your hands and feet to the world around us. And may they see Jesus in us when we do those things. May they be drawn to you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work through the good deeds that we do. Let them see Jesus. Let them see past us to the one who gives all, every good gift. I pray for each one of us, even this week, that we would have those divine appointments where somebody comes across our paths or there's something, a circumstance, and we can say, you know what? It can make a difference. And that we would step in and demonstrate Jesus. And Lord, I pray that even those acts of good deeds and kindness would result in opportunities to share the source, to share about Jesus and the good news of the gospel. I pray you protect us, watch over us this week. Lord, we pray that we do truly represent you as your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.